Lord, we give you thanks for being a God who speaks to us and who has spoken to us through your word and that you continue to use that word to speak and to lead and to guide us. So, Father, we come to your word now because we want to hear you speak. We want to hear what you have to say to us this morning. And so we simply ask that you would speak clearly and powerfully to each one of us and that you would remove anything that would hinder us from hearing what you have to say. Any distractions, fears, anxieties, anything that would hinder us, Lord, calm them, remove them so that we can hear. We pray that you would open our ears to hear, our eyes to see, and our hearts to receive what you have to say this morning. And all God's people said, Amen. So like I mentioned last week, Oops, I forgot to change that slide. That, that's last week's sermon. <laughs> this week's sermon is different. It's, the title is, For Me to Live as Christ. And the passage is Philippians 1, 12 through 30. So that's the passage that we're looking at. And we're going through the book of Philippians um, throughout the season of Lent. So let's, let's look at our passage. Philippians 1, 12 through 30. Paul says, now I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so in love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help given by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage to do so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this means fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it's more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you again, your joy in Christ Jesus will overflow on account of me. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed. 
but that you will be saved, and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for him. Since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. Sometimes when I'm talking to people or listening to preachers or pastors and they're talking to people and wanting them to examine their lives, they'll say something like, if someone who didn't know you looked at your calendar or your checkbook, what would they say is the center of your life? Right? So if they looked at your calendar or your checkbook, what would they say is at the center of your life? And it's a statement that causes us to really start to look at our Life. Look at our calendar, look at our checkbook, and figure out what's the center of it. And it's assumed that if we, if we see those two things, we'll really be able to figure out what's at the core, what our motivations are. You know, there, I've known many people over the years who do spend every waking moment either working or thinking about work. And probably not even every waking moment. Probably while they sleep, they're dreaming about work. Right? And I've known other people who've, who regularly drain their bank accounts to go on vacations and do recreation and so on and so forth. And, and so you can look at those things. You can kind of get a, a sense of what's at the center, how they're spending their time and how they're spending their money. You can begin to get some motivation there. And what's underlying that is an understanding that the things that we believe work themselves out through our fingertips, always. The things that we believe always change the way we live. It's just, it's how it works. And I should clarify that and say, the things that we really believe change the way we act. Not just what we think we believe or things that we say we believe on paper, but the things that we really believe always change the way we act. And, and one example, even just from my own life, is that, you know, I know that I should believe that God will provide for every one of my needs. I know that. And yet, there are times when I do not live that way. And I get anxious, and I worry, and I worry about money, and I try to do this. And, and so, deep down, that means I don't fully believe it. I believe it on a certain level, but I don't fully believe it. And so, then my actions don't reflect that. But you can tell a lot about someone by how you see their their calendar or their checkbook, but really you're still looking at a superficial level, aren't you? You you can see that someone works a lot, but I want to ask a deeper question, why do they work a lot? You can't tell that by looking at their calendar. Or somebody spends a lot of money on recreation and, and vacation and whatever. Sure, you can tell that, but I want to know why. What's, what's the deeper motivation that's going on underneath all of that? And, and it's the question I want every one of us to look at in our own lives. What's the why at the core of our life? And Paul says this is his answer. And he's saying it in a, such a way as to say this should be the answer of every single believer. For me to live is Christ. Christ at the center, the Christ as the central motivation in every aspect of his life. He says, if I'm living, it's about Christ. And you can look at Paul's calendar and you could see him doing a lot of different things. You could see him diligently working on tents 
which is what he did for a living. He was a tent maker. You could see him walking around the marketplace in between making tents, talking to people and, and talking to them about Jesus. You could see Paul talking with the philosophers of the city. You could see Paul planting churches and discipling people, going from house to house to house, discipling people. You'd see Paul being thrown in jail. You'd see Paul being whipped and beaten. You'd see him traveling miles and miles on foot and by sea. You'd see him collecting money to give to the needy people in Jerusalem. And yet, why is he doing all of that? And he would say, Christ. He'd say, Paul, why do you work so diligently at your tent making business? And he would say, Christ. It's my motivation. Why, why are you raising money for the needy people in Jerusalem? And he would say, Christ is my motivation. Why do you go to prison and endure beatings and whipping and travel far and wide and on ships? And he would say, Christ. Everything. Every single aspect of my life, Paul would say, is because of Christ. And as I thought about that, I realized in order for that to be true in us, we really have to be able to see Christ as beautiful and his life as beautiful. If we see, if we see Jesus as some kind of um, removed taskmaster who who's just gives us rules and we have to stoically follow him and just pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and just by our own self-will and determination just kind of grunt it out, he, he really won't be the central motivation of our lives. And actually... When you look at the Pharisees, um, that's, they didn't see Jesus as beautiful. They didn't see the God-fearing life as beautiful. They just kind of grunted it out and did it by their own self-will. And their motivation became less about God or Christ and it became all about themselves and other people. They, they lived the Christian life to impress themselves and other people. They, they prayed in the temple to impress themselves and other people. They, it was not about Christ as the central motivation. It was all about them because they didn't think it was beautiful in the first place. But when we see Christ as beautiful, it becomes much easier for Him to be that central figure in every aspect of our lives. And it's interesting that even when we, we get outside of the Christian world and we start talking to people in other areas of the world, they see Jesus' life as a beautiful thing. They don't necessarily, I mean, Jesus, like, when you say see Jesus as beautiful, I'm not talking about his appearance. I'm talking about his life. And you know, I, had a, I had a friend who worked with a bunch of Muslims and he was talking to them about Jesus all the time and they would read it and they would say, this man's life was beautiful. Even, I think, Gandhi had the quote that, I like your Christ, I just don't like your Christians. Right? But when he saw Jesus, he said, that life is beautiful. And, and even a staunch atheist, when they really, really look at Jesus' life, they say, there's beauty in that. That there, there's something about his life that stirs our hearts and our souls to see it as beautiful, because the reality is, it is beautiful. That Christ lived the life that we were all created to live. We know we fall short because of sin. We, we don't get there. But when we look at Jesus, we say, that's what we were created to live. It's, it's beautiful and glorious. 
I mean, he is the one who is truly human. He is essentially human. And as we follow him, we have this unbelievable opportunity to be slowly transformed and shaped to live the life that Christ lived. I mean, that's the Christian life is an opportunity to live the beautiful life. And yes, we're going to fall short. Yes, we're going to mess it up, which is why we need Christ's death and forgiveness and the power of the Holy Spirit. But my point in all of this is the Christian life is a beautiful life. And, and the, the life with Christ at the center of it is a beautiful life. And when we see it as beautiful, then it's a lot easier to put Christ at the center of everything we do. It's easy for us to be able to say this of ourselves. It's easier. For me to live is Christ. I mean, it's a beautiful thing to watch someone work with Christ as their central motivation. Not, not just a pastor. If you're working in a factory with Christ as your central motivation, it's a beautiful thing. If you work as a CPA with Christ as your central motivation, it's a beautiful thing. If you're a mechanic with Christ as your central motivation, it's a beautiful thing. It's even a beautiful thing to do recreation and vacation and all those things with Christ at the center of those things. If somebody were to ask you, why, why do you like to play golf so much? What would you answer? Would you say, because I love Jesus. <laughs> but if you're playing golf because you love Jesus, you'll play golf differently, won't you? I tell my kids this all the time with hockey. If you're playing hockey with Christ at the center, you will play hockey differently. You won't be cheap. You won't be selfish. It won't be about you and your glory. It'll, it'll be about Christ and bringing Him glory. You, and it's a beautiful thing to see that happen when it, when it happens. And it happens through every aspect of our lives. Why do you spend money the way, that, the way you spend money? Paul says the answer should be because of Jesus Christ. Why do you parent the way you parent? So the answer should be Jesus Christ. He should be the one who's always before our eyes in every single aspect that we do, whether eating or drinking and everything, Christ should be there in front of us. So it's a beautiful thing to have Christ at the center of our work and our play and our money. And Paul takes it to another level and says, it's a beautiful thing to endure pain and suffering with Christ as a central motivation. I mean, when we endure pain and suffering and trial with Christ at the center, then, then the world stands up and takes notice and says, wait, what's different here? I mean, even Paul, that's how he starts it off, right? He's, he writes to the Philippians and says, guys, I want you to know that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. As a result, it's become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I'm in chains for Christ. He's in, he's in, he's in jail. He's locked up, shackled up as he's writing this letter. He's suffering in prison and he says, I guys, I want you to know that my suffering has worked to advance the gospel. That because of his suffering, every single soldier in the palace guard 
knows about Jesus. And then he says, and everyone else. So not just all every soldier, every single person that he's coming in contact knows that he's there because Christ is central to him. And I don't even think he realized when he when Paul said what's happened to me here has happened to advance the gospel. I don't think he realized that we would still be reading that letter 2000 years later. I mean, think of that. Um, pretty much every letter of Paul was written while he was suffering in prison. Think of that. That's most of our New Testament is the fruit of a man suffering with Christ at the center. And 2,000 years later, we're still reading it, still being edified by the way that God worked in and through him. Because Christ was at the center of his suffering, everybody knew about it. And, and it's interesting because it, it happened in two different ways, I would say. Um, Paul has been in prison many times before he wrote to the Philippians. And one of the times he was in prison was the first time that he was in Philippi preaching to them. He got thrown into prison because he caused a ruckus in the city. And what it said about him in the prison in Philippi says, Upon receiving such orders, the soldier put them in the inner cell, fastened their feet in the stocks. And about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Now get the picture. He just got, he caused a ruckus in the city. They lock him up. They, lock, they chain his feet together. They stick him and Silas in the middle of the cell. And what do they do in the middle of the prison cell, in the middle, middle of their pain and suffering? They pray and sing. And they're praying out loud because it says everybody heard them. The whole prison is hearing Paul and Silas praying and singing out loud in the midst of their suffering. And they have to know that Christ is at the center of his suffering. And I can pretty much guarantee the same thing's happening while he's in prison and writing this letter to Philippi, that the guards are watching him and the way he suffers and the way he endures it, and they say something is different here. We know he's here for Christ, and we know that his suffering, the way that he's suffering differently because Christ is in prison. Uh, Christ is not in prison. Well, he is, I suppose. Because Christ is at the center of his prison. If you were to ask Paul, why are you suffering this way? He would say, Christ. For me to live is Christ. And yet Paul did more than just suffer well and suffer beautifully. In 1 Peter, Peter says something very similar. He says, in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. Which you could say it another way as make Christ the center of your life. And then he says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. He says, put Christ at the center of your life and then people are going to see it and they're going to notice that something's different and they're going to ask you about it. And he says, be ready to talk to them about it. So Paul, suffering in prison, suffering differently with joy and hope, the soldiers come up to him and say, Paul, why? You might die. We might kill you. Why do you have hope? He'd say, for me to live is Christ. Christ is at the center of it. He, so Paul not only lived this life with Christ at the center, but he spoke it as people asked him about it. 
And as a result, every single officer in the whole palace knew. And everyone else that came in contact with him knew. And then Paul takes it another step. Not only is it beautiful to suffer and endure pain with Christ as our central motivation, but it's beautiful to be able to look death in the eye with Christ as our central motivation. He says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. He says, what should I choose? I don't know. I'm, I'm torn between the two. I, I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it's more necessary for you that I remain in the body. I mean, does that... Man, that hits me every time I read it. It stirs my heart. I mean, Paul says, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. And of course I want to go and be with Christ. I, want to, I would love to leave this world and be with my beautiful Savior, but the timing of that's up to Him. I don't get to take that in my own hands. I don't get to try to end my life early. I don't get to do any of that. My life is completely in Jesus' hands. And if He, if he takes my life, it's gain. But if He leaves me here, that means Christ-centered life. Christ-centered motivation at every aspect of my life. When He takes me home, I will go. But while I'm here, He will be always before my eyes and I will run the race set before me with Christ at the center. And I'll live it all out, not being, not being motivated by fear or death because to die is gain. But to live is Christ. And then he takes the camera and points it on us. You know, up till now, the whole two-thirds of this passage, it's all been Paul saying, this is me, I'm in prison, this is my motivation, this is me. And now he turns it and turns it on the Philippians, and by turning it on them, turns it on us and says, now what about you? Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. It's been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe on Him, but also to suffer for Him. Since you're going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. Live a life worthy of the Gospel. And you might say, what in the world does that mean? Simply, Paul says, be able to say, for me to live is Christ. A life worthy of the gospel is a life centered on the gospel, centered on Christ, where Christ is at the center of your work and your play and your money and your home and every single aspect of your life. That's a life worthy of the gospel. It's the beautiful Christian life. You lay every aspect of your life in his hands and say, here I am, Lord, take me, use me how you would use me. But it also means suffering. And we don't always like to hear that. But the beautiful Christian life means suffering. Paul is very clear. He says it's been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe on Him, but also to suffer for Him. But suffering is part of the beautiful Christian life. 
And all you need to do is just start reading through the Bible. Just flip the Bible open to pretty much any page and you will see someone who is living the beautiful Christian life and they're suffering in the midst of it. It's there. And yet, to paraphrase Paul, he would say, but for me to suffer is also Christ. He's at the center of it. Christ is there strengthening, comforting, guiding, motivated, and healing. And although we don't like to suffer ourselves, I can pretty much guarantee every one of us has walked alongside someone who has suffered tremendously with Christ at the center. And we've watched the hope and the fearlessness and the strength that Christ has given them. And we've seen it in this other person and we said, man, I want that. Because it's beautiful to have Christ at the center of our suffering. And so he, we can have that in our own life too because the Christian life is beautiful. It's beautiful because Christ is beautiful. Suffering in the midst of this is beautiful because Christ suffered himself in a beautiful way. The beginning of his life to the end was one all of suffering. But then right at the end, we see Christ in the midst of agony praying on, in Gethsemane, praying to the Father. We see Christ being beaten and flogged and faithfully enduring it through the strength that God supplies. We, we see Jesus being mocked and accused, and he stood silently and strongly before them. We even see Christ hanging on the cross, looking at the people who put him there and saying, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. We see Christ hanging on the cross saying, take care of my mom. He's not even worrying about himself in that moment. He's caring for other people. And we look at that and we say, man, that is beautiful. We, will, we want that. Because Christ is beautiful. So the call this morning is to look, look to Him and see Him as beautiful. Give every aspect of our lives to Him. Let Him be center in every single aspect of our lives. In good times and in bad times. It's for us to leave here this morning be able to say, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Let's pray. Father, we so easily turn in on ourselves in the midst of trial and temptation and turn in on ourselves thinking that we are strong enough to do it. And yet, deep down we know that we are not. Father, we know that you are only strong enough to carry us through. And so we give our lives to you. Father, we ask your forgiveness for times when we reject you and try to rely on our own strength. And ask that you would continue to stir our hearts to rely on you more fully each day to make you center in every aspect of our lives, whether in good times or in suffering. Lord, may you strengthen us Guide us. Give us peace. May you provide us with an answer for anyone who asks for the hope that is within us. May your name be glorified and may your kingdom come. And all God's people said, Amen.